Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Douglas Brent is the author of The Mysterious Case of Rudolf Diesel, Genius, Power, and Deception on the Eve of World War I. He is also the New York Times bestselling author of Ghosts of Manhattan, The Means, Trophy Son, and now The Mysterious Case of Rudolf Diesel. He is the host of the top-rated Sirius XM author podcast dedicated with Doug Brent, a Philadelphia native. He lives in Connecticut with his wife and three children. And by the way, Doug and I worked together at Ideal Lab in New York after I transferred from the Pasadena office back in, oh my gosh, maybe... 1999, 2000. And he was one of the first people I met at that job. And now here it is, what, 22 years later, 23 years later. Very funny. 
Welcome, Doug. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the mysterious case of Rudolf Diesel, genius, power, and deception on the eve of World War I. Zibi, thanks for it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, please. Thank you. It's so funny after all these years at Idea Lab back in the day, you know, rolling around in our errand chairs or whatever. But anyway, here we are. I know with the wooden boards as our desks and yep. that, that totally open concept. We were early with the open concept office design, I think. Yes, very early. No privacy at all. Lots of phone <laughs> conversations. <laughs> Pre-Zoom era. Anyway. Okay. You wrote about, in the beginning of this book, how you stumbled upon this topic when you were dealing with your own boat and all of that. Tell listeners about where you got the inspiration for the book and then all the research you must have done that went into it and why you feel like Rudolf Diesel is one to be remembered. And I just found this like to be utterly fascinating. Oh, thanks. You're, you're right. I did stumble into it in the luckiest of ways. And it's it's just this incredible piece of history that's been paved over for reasons that I discuss in the book. You'll understand why it's been paved over. I have, I'm a novelist traditionally, as I've written a few novels. And uh, years ago, I bought this old boat and I was talking to the guy at the boatyard, what should I do? Because it was, you know, needed some work. And it had these old gasoline engines in it. And he said, well, the first thing you ought to do is to repower this to diesel. And like most of your listeners, seven years ago, I didn't know anything about diesel. I thought, you know, it's an engine. What's, what's the difference between diesel and anything else? And he went on this whole rant of why marine diesel in particular is the way to go. Zero percent of boat fires happen with diesel. All fires are uh, all fires are from gasoline engines. The gasoline is fumy and very flammable and gasoline engines start with a spark. Diesel does not. And fuel ed- efficiency is three or four times better with diesel. So I, I did repower with diesel. And then I was working on ideas for the next novel and I was clicking around the internet and came ac- across this list of mysterious disappearances at sea. And on the list was Rudolf Diesel who had disappeared in 1913 on the eve of World War I. So I was like, wow, I wonder if Rudolf Diesel has any connection to these diesel engines that I just bought. And of course, I clicked through it, and it does. He is the inventor of the diesel engine and was this enormous global celebrity at the time in 1913. And and again, he's been kind of scrubbed from history. But when he disappeared in 1913, it was massive news around the world. The New York Times to all the papers in Europe and Russia and Asia were covering this crazy disappearance. And so then I went down a rabbit hole for five years and and, uh, came back out with this book. Five years. Uh, Where did you even start? Like, which archives? I know you referenced a lot of books and, you know, things that had been written, but of course you put together your own theory, which at the end is like, oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Like that, of course, like this makes total sense. Where did you start? And what were some points in the research process where you had some light bulb moments and you were like so excited about it? Well, as a novelist, I initially was thinking I'd come at this from the angle of historical fiction. Hmm. And, well, you know, there's so little written about the guy, particularly in English language, there was not much to find. And I thought, well, I'll just fill in all the gaps. I have this sort of idea. It's almost like, you know, those paintings that are all dots and you look at it, but if you look at it for long enough, you see a unicorn or something like that. It was like that. I just had read enough about this case. I became obsessed with it. And the more I read about it, the more I had a theory because the theories that have been accepted, even in Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, that many people presume it was a suicide, that he jumped off this ship. Uh, so the, the, the quick story is that Rudolf Diesel on September 29 was traveling from Belgium to England on an overnight passenger ferry. And in the night, he disappears. They hold the ship at sea and they search it. They can't find him. All they find is his hat and his coat. 
along the promenade deck at the stern of the ship. And so they presume that it was suicide that he jumped over. And two other theories were that he was killed by either Kaiser Wilhelm II, the emperor of Germany, or John Rockefeller and agents of big oil. And there, there are all these in-depth possible motives of why they might have done it. So I, I was exploring these theories, became obsessed with the case. And the more I unearthed, the more I realized this story actually needs to be told as nonfiction. It's not been done and I can do it. And so I initially found a lot of stuff. You know, it's amazing. Research works so much differently now than it did a few decades ago. You know, I, I think you and I are roughly the same yeah. age. And so we would like, you know, scroll through microfiche oh. plastic film and libraries and a lot of things have been scanned. Old newspapers have been scanned, and you can do a lot with keyword search. You, you still have to sort of narrow in on that. But I looked at, I was down in the New York Public Library in Midtown going through old newspaper articles because that two week period after his disappearance, it was a flood of newspaper coverage. And then because World War I followed so closely on the heels of it, and because there were manipulations in the media, it has never really gone, no one's ever sort of gone back to try to reconcile all the conflicting reports in the media. So that was just a great starting place. I found all kinds of facts that a person couldn't really go through these newspaper archives in, a, in an efficient way, even a few decades ago. So much has been uploaded. So I was able to do that level of research, which reinforced the theory. And then I got into archives and throughout Europe and America. And I actually reached out to my old high school, a buddy there who put me in touch with the German professor, who then translated reams of diaries and letters of Diesel's own work out of archives in, in Germany. So, and that, you know, it just, it was like the geeky side of Indiana Jones, you know, not the whip and the gun and the <laughs> boulders, but the finding of some little piece of information that for most people would mean nothing, but in the context of this story opens up enormous doors. I mean, it's just little pieces of treasure. And those moments were so fun to discover. The letters in particular, I mean, Rudolph was so in love with his wife. It was so neat to even see, like how dedicated, you know, down to the last letter. And even though we, you have different interpretations of what he may have meant in it and everything, but just seeing how how that st stood the test of time. Yeah, he really was such a romantic. Yeah, uh, that their relationship really was a beautiful piece of the story. And he also was very forward-looking in a way that he was able to see around corners from a technology perspective. Yes. You know, he was thinking about pollution and engine efficiency and energy independence. So, you know, one of his visions for the engine was that it would run on vegetable oil or peanut oil, mm -hmm. and that he could break up the fuel monopolies, not through a law like the Sherman Antitrust Act, but through his technology, and that most nations have farmers, they can grow their own fuel. We don't need to run around fighting wars over that. Yep. Well, one thing that I found really interesting was just tracing his whole family history, yes, and how he sort of came to be and his wife and their connections with Germany and Britain and everything. But then how his his sort of intellectual mind worked when he started digging deep into the other alternatives for all of this and how you track the developments and, you know, the setbacks and the successes and through doing that, we learn all of this stuff about history in general and the evolution. I mean, it's reminded me a little bit, except it was fiction. It's not All the Light You Cannot See because that was a novel, but there was another book around that time about the war between Edison. Oh, was this made into a, a movie like the, the yes. Power War? Or something like yes, that? yes. Power something or other. Yes. Something like that. Anyway, like, because we... 
I mean, this sounds like so foolish to say, but we run around in our day-to-day lives and we don't take notice or even ask who the people are that we, whose names we throw around all the time. And all mm-hmm. of those names are in your book and they become full-on people, right? Edison and, you know, his relationship to alcohol and his wife and, you know, they become full-on living people, particularly the way that you write them. And so then like today's world suddenly looks a little bit different as a result. It, uh, it, that is one of the fun parts of the book. And I think as I, as I do future books, I want to stay in this period, this quarter century before leading up to World War I, which I refer to jokingly as Downton Abbey, the early years, you know, <laughs> prior to the war when the world lived differently. There are all these royal courts throughout Europe and these empires. And I'm you know gone immediately after World War I, I'm sure for the better, but there is a certain romance to it. And the cast of characters is phenomenal. Like Adolphus Bush is another mm-hmm. who... Yep. You know, as the as the engine came out, it was the licensing model was that people would take the the rights to market and manufacture the engine by national territory. So Adolphus Bush, the founder of Anheuser Busch, had it for North America, and you learn so much about him. He, he was a diesel pioneer, using it initially to power uh, pumps for water in his breweries, but also built a separate business building diesel engines for the U.S. Navy and their submarine fleet. It's just a charming period of time, that sort of gilded age time, and, and the cast of characters really is so fascinating. It's not so different fundamentally to what's happening in technology today, or even like if, and I feel like this would be akin to, you know, Elon Musk just like up and disappearing, right? At the time being such a big deal. But even, I don't know if you saw this movie about the invention of the palm and about uh, the Blackberry. Did you watch this movie? Like nobody watched this movie. No, I haven't seen that one. It's really interesting, but it's all about the building of the BlackBerry company and the founders and then what happens at the end when Apple, you know, unveils the iPhone and how they didn't see it coming and, you know, the rise and fall of BlackBerry. But it's so interesting because we see these companies and how this repeats itself through entrepreneurial history, really, of what happens when, you know, regulation, yes, and like the, and of course it happens with oil and diesel and all of that too, like who, who gets preferential treatment and why from different governments, but then just like what you do and how do you continue to innovate and who ends up making it through? I don't know. I find it absolutely fascinating. And there, as you say, there's a lot of that in here and standard oil plays a key role. And and one of the reasons Rockefeller was such a suspect and had such a motive is standard oil was really on the ropes in 1913 Mm -hmm. because while Rockefeller was the richest man in the world already by that time, standard oil had made all their money through kerosene. They were really in the illumination business and lighting and the electric light bulb had come along and basically wiped out their prospects. Gasoline for all those decades had been a, a nuisance product that they would throw away. And then suddenly the combustion engine comes along that can run on gasoline and they have a lifeline, except that diesel is potentially there to say, no, we don't need gasoline, we're going to run on vegetable oil. Amazing. One of my favorite parts is when you're going through your final conclusion and going back through different documents and how you said you found the Easter egg about 30 years and you're like, maybe it's just me, but I think that that's, I think that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Were you just like so excited finding out all this stuff and being like, oh my gosh. You know, it is. So when I was right, of course I was seeing diesel everywhere. You know, I'm like, he's, he's just been under the surface all along, all around us, everywhere we go, I see diesel. And I, it was, it was just yet another one of those moments. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So how you spent five years on it, how, what was the writing process like and how different was it from your fiction writing? It was a learning curve for me, for sure. And a very 
daunting one because as you know, when you, when you sell a novel, you pretty much write the full manuscript and you sell the finished product or 95% finished. And maybe you do a bit with your editor and that's what I was used to. And, and, you know, unless you're a big name, maybe you're on two, three book deal or something like that. But with nonfiction, as I learned, you don't sell a finished book, you sell a proposal and there's a very standard look for a proposal. It's roughly a 30 page document. There might be a sample chapter, but there's a cast of characters a discussion of the original research you're going to do, a discussion of the competitive books in the, in the market. So I learned from my agent how a proposal for a nonfiction book looks for the first time and, and worked through that, which was a very helpful process in me for me to think about structuring the book itself. But I've always done a lot of research for my novels as well. So the research piece, I, I have some background with and, and genuinely love doing. I miss working on this book. I would tell my wife and kids, like, okay, I'm going to go play with my imaginary friend Rudolph Diesel for a little while and, like, disappear to my office for a few hours. And I would tell enough stories to the family over the dinner table that he became this kind of three-dimensional character in our own home. So the, I'm feeling his absence now, although I, you know, fun to get up and talk about him. But, uh, you know, I used to spend eight hours a day grinding away on his story and this investigation of what happened. Oh, my gosh. So but it's now- fun. I, one other difference, too, I guess, quickly to note is that with fiction, I generally write by hand on yellow legal pads, and then I type that in. With non, and I and I try to stay away from the internet. With nonfiction, I had and I could do it anywhere. I can be on a plane or on a train or whatever. With the nonfiction writing, I have to sort of be in my spot. I have stacks of secondary research material around me. I do want to be on my laptop. I didn't write by hand at all. Everything was keyed in, and I was making little, you know turns to the internet to look something up quickly or whatever. So it's a different, you know, the mechanics of the writing were different as well. You write your novels by hand. That's wild. (laughs) Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. For those listening who aren't familiar with your novels, can you just describe them all and sort of even how you got into writing to begin with? Like what happened after Idea Lab for you to become a novelist? It's so fun to talk with you about this, our, <laughs> our professional histories that overlapped 20 some years ago. So from Idea Lab, where you and I worked in around 99, 2000-ish, you started in LA and then came to New York, mm-hmm. right? 
I was in New York only, although I made that trip to Pasadena one time, which was fun. From there, I, I uh, joined a startup that was about three people in information security, like tech. And I became president and CEO of that and ran it for about 10 years and sold it in 2011. In the last years of it, I was just so ground down and frustrated. There were, there were some dynamics there where they were very challenging. I was traveling a ton and we had just had our second child. And my wife noticed, you know, you're, you're short-tempered and burnt out. And, you know, maybe, you know, we should, we should take a look at, you know, the long-term prospects of this situation. <laughs> and, uh, by that time, because I've been traveling so much, I've always loved to read. I've always loved to tinker with writing, but I never took any formal writing training or an MFA or anything like that. But I've been tinkering with, it, tinkering with this idea for a novel. And a few months later, I showed it to her, which is this very potentially awkward situation in a marriage, if you're, you know, without busy other, like, oh, so-and-so wants to be a writer, but boy, it's bad. But fortunately, she liked it, encouraged me to get a, an agent, and I was lucky to fairly quickly find one who also liked it and thought it needed a lot of work, but did that work with the agent, and then was lucky to find a deal with SNS for the first book. So that one's called Ghost of Manhattan, set on Wall Street. It's really about a marriage, but it's set on Wall Street, and the husband in the marriage is a trader, fixed income trader for Bear Stearns, and talks about that bubble crash. The second one is called The Means, and it's really political fiction. It, it explores the intersection of politics and media and follows a presidential campaign. It's thrillerish, but sort of smart politics with a twist ending. And then the third is called Trophy Son, and that's about a young tennis prodigy. And it really explores our achievement-obsessed culture, which is really not how you and I grew up. You know, when I when you and I were coming home, our parents were probably like, be home by dinner and I'll ring the bell. And But now everybody's scheduled with chess and sports and all these other things. And tennis is really at the extreme end of that. So explore as a tennis prodigy going through that. And, and on the research side, all these were much more contemporary. So for the tennis book, I did interviews with John Isner and James Blake, who really helped out. And I, I always have found that a lot of research for fiction, too, helps you get it on the page in a more compelling and forceful way. So that, that kind of research on the diesel side, of course, no one's really living for to do a lot of primary. Although I did find two of his descendants that I spoke with, but it was, you know, more on the secondary research archival side. Have you been watching the, the U.S. Open? I have and <laughs> have been loving it. You know, the, the Djokovic-Alcaraz story is great. Coco Goff is amazing. What an athlete she is and, and so composed and so, it, you know, pretty hot for those folks, yes. but uh, really fun. Love watching tennis. You know, I went twice this year and just watching it, I was like drenched. And I'm like, I cannot believe these players are doing, operating on such an amazingly efficient body level in this extreme heat. It's insane. But anyway, I remember we read the means for this book club I was in, which is how I even learned you had become an author. It's so funny. Oh, fine. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. So for your next book, what are you thinking? Well, I'm not sure yet. And I will say, though, that I want to stay in this same period, that quarter century leading up to World War One. And it's funny, my editor and I have this joke that one writer's footnote could be another writer's whole book. You know, mm -hmm. you can grab that and just run. And so I think that in this case, one of my footnotes will be my own next book. So there, there is one story in there that is just sort of a footnote tangent right now, but I'm really fascinated by it. So it'll probably be in the same period and, and have a connection to diesel. So interesting. Wait, and tell me about your podcast. The podcast is called Dedicated. I do it in partnership with SiriusXM and talk to top writers 
And we begin each episode with the guest favorite cocktail, which I, I have some bartending background. So I fix a cocktail right on set and we have a drink and uh, sometimes two or three. And by the end of the show, we're a little, a little tipsy, but those sometimes make for the best episodes. And it's a lot of fun. Talk about the latest work, but also life and behind the scenes stuff. I mean, it, it's really fun. It's a, it's a chance. Some of these folks are people I've known for a long time. And our good friends like Amor Tolls came on and he and I had a fun catch up and other people that I'd never met before, like Jennifer Egan or, or mm-hmm. someone. Um, so it's been really fun. It's a chance for me to do a little bit more socially. You know, I, I miss the idea lab days and we'd have a team and talk. You know, I, I do embrace my alone time and I love writing, but it's fun to tap into something else once in a while, too. I love talking to authors as we're doing right now. This is like meta conversation, talking about authors while talking to an author um, (laughs) about talking to other authors. But no, I think it's almost like you prolong the fun experience of reading, but you like bring it into life in a sanctioned way or something that you couldn't just sit around reading all day. No, that's, that's true. Yeah. And I, so I actually, it gets me reading too, like, you know, to your point and, and passion. I, you know, when I have people on, I, I always do read the book. Sometimes I've already, you know, I've read their books years ago, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it's up to my reading game quite a bit. I'm, I'm more at like two or three books a week where I used to be at half a book a week, probably. Yeah. Have you learned how to read really quickly? Do you read quickly? <laughs> <laughs> it, I, guess, I think it is like a muscle. You can get a little, there's only so fast I can go. I'm actually not a very fast reader, but I'm probably a little faster now than I was. Wait, and go back to this whole writing with your, why write by hand? And how did that start? I, I'm like, I'm like, you're like the, the last person doing this. Maybe one or two. I know it's, it's like me and Nelson DeMille, I think yeah. might be the last two. But although, you know, Jennifer Regan, I think does a little bit by hand. She's sort of a hybrid. The reason for me though, is purely because I'm a hunt and peck kind of guy. Like I type with two or three fingers per hand. So okay. you know, it's like a prize fighter, you know, your, you know, your ability per pound is good. But my, so my, Word pace per finger is not bad, but I only type with about four or five fingers. And so I'm really slow and I can't keep up. And it also helps me to have it on the page where I can draw arrows and cross out. Somehow that works better for the way that I think. And then it's not totally wasted because I'll take those yellow legal pads. I usually write in the morning and then in the afternoon, I'll type it in. And that's a chance to kind of comb the hair of it a little bit as it, mm-hmm. as it goes in. Interesting. So who is exciting coming up on your podcast or who have you talked to lately that was really interesting or? Let's see. So season one wrapped and season two starts this month in September. Scott Turo mm-hmm. will be one of the first. He's terrific and so fun. And I learned a lot. I didn't realize he was a practicing attorney even after presumed innocent. He's this celebrity lawyer writer. And then he'd walk into a courtroom and litigate. People are like, oh my God, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> litigating against Scott Terrell and, or the, even the judge would be like, this is weird. Like, this yeah. is I've got to sort of run this circus. Who else is coming on? Fiona Davis. Oh yeah, I love her. Mm-hmm. And then last season, uh, really just had some great folks on. David Duchovny came on and Rick Springfield, who have both written novels and, and nonfiction stuff. Lee Child, who I love and is terrific. Nelson DeMille, Amor Tolls. Jess Walter, who wrote Beautiful Ruins. Anna Quinlan came on. Love Anna. Really, really good stuff. Awesome. Amazing. We should like team up and do like a powerhouse. Oh, we got to, you know what? I'll do the bartending. We'll co-host. And uh, <laughs> that would be fun. We should, we should team up. That would be fun. That would be fun. I don't know. Wouldn't know which, maybe Aperol spritzes or something. <laughs> After Probably don't usually make those. Okay. Well, what advice do you have for aspiring authors? You know, the best advice I, I can give is, I, I actually got this advice from this friend years ago and I hadn't written anything yet, but I had this idea 
because I had finished the Gold Coast by Nelson DeMille. And when I finished it, I thought, I want to make people feel the way this novel made me feel. I just loved that book and remains one of my favorites. And I had an idea for a book and I was just sort of not getting going on it, which I think is an issue for a lot of people. And I was at this event with this guy who's a songwriter and I was telling him about it and he was sort of half listening, you know, and I'm like, well, what do you think? And he goes, just start writing. And then he like pounds the second half of his gin and tonic and walks off and thought nothing of it. But for me, it was like, you know, he, so he moved on to the bar and got his another gin and tonic and that, but I was left standing there like, my God, I just have to start writing. And it was advice I'd probably heard a hundred times before, but somehow in that moment I heard it and it got in. And I, the next day I did do something about it. And I started, just started writing an outline. And sometimes that's the easiest way to get in. It's for me, uh, oh, you know, like Lee Child does an outline, Amor Toll's obsessive outliner. He has drafts of his outline. I think outlining is a, is a great step for me just to get started, just to get the motors, you know, moving. And so I started the outline, which is far easier to start than the first sentence of page one. And then from there, it didn't look back. So I, I think the, the, the best advice is the most simple advice, which you may or may not hear this time, but maybe you'll hear it one time and just start writing. Amazing. Love it. Great. Well, the last question I have is like, now that we have this new alternate theory to history, wh- what do we do with that? Where does it go? Like, how do you get it into the Encyclopedia Britannica? Like, how do you rewrite history at this time? I am hoping that through your podcast and me getting the word out here that Encyclopedia Britannica is listening and they will update their <laughs> But I, I think that this will get, my hope is this will get some coverage. I mean, the, the deficit of appreciation for Rudolf Diesel is massive. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know the engine. I mean, and one of the things is to this day, it still powers the global economy. And imagine a tropical fruit growing in some, you know, some region around the equator all the farm equipment used to grow it, diesel-powered. It gets loaded onto a truck. Anything larger than a passenger car, diesel-powered. A crane, diesel-powered. Loads it onto a cargo ship. All cargo ships, diesel. Goes across the ocean, unloaded truck onto a train. 100% of trains are diesel-powered. No- nothing moves without diesel more than 120 years later. And so the, the engine is sort of firmly established as you know, the most important power source of the last century and, and remains our, our most important power source. But the appreciation of the man is just completely absent. And there, there's actually a photo on my website that has this little plaque of his home where he was born in Paris. He was a, you know, he had emigrated from Germany, he was born in Paris. And there's like graffiti around it. And it's just this sad little thing. And so I, I hope that this book will put him up there with Ford and Tesla and Edison and others where he belongs. Amazing. Well, congratulations. And yeah, congrats. It was great. Oh, Ruby, thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. See you soon. Okay. Bye, Jack. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.